Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. We're all sporting our UK gear because, as you know, Kentucky beat Florida last night. And uh, first time at home, for sure, since 86. And then before that was, I don't know, like, anyway. So just in case it's another 30 years and I'm 75, before it happens again, we turn the lights blue and I'm wearing my shirt. So uh, <clears throat> don't talk to me about it, all right? I'm just going to... Uh, I'm not going to scream and yell today. Uh, for, I yelled too much last night. I guess I could. Adrian kept telling me, your voice is going to be gone. I was like, I got practice yelling at the kids. I'll be fine. And, uh, but he was right. I feel like it is gone. Anyway, uh, today's message, I uh, just want to talk to us a little bit today, if that's okay. And so uh, grabbing the stool and sitting down will help me, help me to do that. Um, we have been in a series the past several weeks, weeks called Winning Culture. And the last time we met, uh, we, I said that we were nearing the end of the series. So today, unless the Holy Spirit were to lead otherwise, this will be the final message on this topic uh, for our YouTube and potty, uh, pod, potty audience. <laughs> what can you do? It just came out. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> Well, that was, that was a good one. I don't know why I'm so choked up over there. This is scummy. Oh, shoot. Okay, okay, okay. For our YouTube and podcast audience, it probably feels like what just happened because we were, we were cruising along in this series, and then the last two weeks we haven't uh, produced anything because last week, as we talked about, we celebrated three baptisms. Uh, water bab- baptisms. It was just an amazing day at the lake with food and games, just rejoicing with those who took their next step in their faith. And as I've already said, I'm so proud of you guys. Uh, I'm just excited for what God's doing in your lives. Um, then two weeks ago, we did something a little different. We turned this place uh, from uh, our large group meeting space into a small group space. And instead of me monologuing for 30 or 40 minutes, um, we just had some discussion which is why if you're a part of the YouTube or podcast audience only, you were, uh, that's why we've had a break the last two weeks. I briefly want to go back to that discussion that we had two weeks ago. Uh, we started and we cited a study done by Lifeway Research, which they said uh, it was the, the 2019 Discipleship Pathway Assessment. It was a study done from Lifeway Research that said that they found excitement and eagerness about the idea of evangelism in um, Protestant churches. But it said few Protestant churchgoers, however, actually engaged in the practice on a regular basis, according to the survey. So in other words, everyone is excited about talking about evangelism or talking about reaching people who are outside of the faith, but few of us are actually practicing or sharing our faith on a regular basis. Uh, It said that more than half, so 55% of those who attend church at least once a month say that they have not shared with someone how to become a Christ follower in the past six months. That's almost six out of ten of us. Six out of ten people who attend church once a month have not shared their faith. They haven't spoken to anyone about how to become a Christian. And I don't know where you fall on that scale, but it's certainly sobering 
and, and worth looking inwardly. The survey said that about one in 10 churchgoers, so 10% average at least one evangelistic conversation a month. So only one out of every 10 people who attend church regularly are sharing their faith one time per month. And with statistics like this, it's really, there's no wonder why, it's not hard to understand why many Christ followers have never led someone else to Christ. Um, and we talked about the comparison game. Um, we even talked about it a few weeks prior to that, how that we, if we live in comparison, that it will rob us of our joy. Uh, again, last week, just an amazing day. Everything from the weather to the baptisms to the food to the old timers beating the students in our first annual volleyball game. <clears throat> but if I allowed myself, I could easily get discouraged by getting caught up in the comparison of other churches. And we talked about that pre, you know, previous to the baptisms. But looking back, I was like, oh, well, oh, we only baptized three people. While you're scrolling through Instagram and you see Elevation or Life Church, who baptized more people in a day than we have that live in our entire city. And if you live in that comparison game with larger churches, then it just feels like this. It just creates this yucky feeling on the inside. Again, here's why we're talking about this. And we said last time that we have a tendency to focus on outcomes when we should be focusing on inputs. And so if I get so focused on, oh, it was only three people, or oh, it was this, or oh, it was that, and I'm not focusing on the inputs or the seeds that are sown, then I'm focusing on the wrong thing. So, right, so when we focus too much on the end result and not enough on front-end effort, that's when we're focusing on outcomes instead of on inputs. I mean, we do this all the time with every area of our lives. right? We do it with our health. Um, for example, I've been running again this month. And I've logged 12 runs in the last two weeks. It started with two miles a day and then 3.1 because you got to get that 5K. And then it was four. And then it was 4.1 miles. And that was because I ran too far away from home and I didn't have any other way to get back. <laughs> but it's taken me 44 years to get in this kind of shape that I'm in. And we all know that running, cutting back on soda and eliminating fast food for two weeks isn't going to give me a body like... Pastor Johnny's. We had that picture here this morning. <laughs> Pastor Johnny, look, at, look at, I'm coming to get you. We're going to go race. <laughs> there was a picture without his shirt on. I almost showed that one. but uh, <laughs> We were like, you shouldn't do that. I was like, well, it shouldn't be on public. But, you know. Listen, but consistency or sowing seeds regularly will bring long-term health. It's foolish at best to expect a harvest on seeds that were never sown. Uh, I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, when I go home today, I don't expect there to be rows of corn in my backyard. Obviously, I'm not expecting any kind of fruit or vegetable because I've planted no seeds. And so when I say we have a tendency to focus on outcomes when we should be focusing on inputs, what I'm really saying is we have a tendency to focus on salvations and baptisms when we should really be focusing on sowing seeds of the gospel. Robert Louis Stevenson says, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. In his book, Win the Day, Mark Batterson says, take proactive measures today that will produce desired outcomes tomorrow. Simply put, sow today what you want to see tomorrow. The old Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. Like, don't wait. 
We have to begin to plant seeds now. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. The growth isn't up to us, which is why we can't get stuck in the comparison game. If I'm focusing on outcomes and not inputs, then I'm going, it's going to disrupt my joy and my peace. All of the growth has to come through God, but we can't expect God to send the growth if we're not sowing seeds. All right, so back to the LifeWay research study. We asked a question a couple of weeks ago, why don't we share our faith or why don't we sow more seeds? And here are the reasons that we came up with collectively as a group. Fear, uh, rejection, fear of rejection, uh, opportunity. And that was a two-sided coin where we feel like we don't have enough opportunity. And secondly, where we feel like we're missing opportunities because we're just too busy. And then we talked about knowledge. A lot of people said, I just feel like I don't have, have the knowledge. And then we asked the question, I would share my faith more often if I blank. And this is what we said. I would share my faith more often if I had more confidence, if I had more boldness, if I had more courage. Uh, people said, I would share my faith more often if I had more practice. If I prayed more, I would share my faith more often if I had someone holding me accountable. Or if I had a partner or someone to go with me. We talked about how sometimes just going out in twos helps us be more courageous. And then some, some of us said if we had more compassion, we would share our faith more often. Here's where I'm going with this. Most of the things that we feel that we're lacking in order to share our faith are found in what Pete Scazzaro calls loving union with God. And just a disclaimer, moving forward, some of what I'm about to share uh, has come from my study over this topic over the past few weeks from multiple books, but the primary one is Pete Scazzaro's The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And I would highly recommend everybody to pick this book up. It's, it's, it's in my top five books of, of all time that I've ever read. Um, we actually touched on this idea in the beginning of the series. If you remember, we said that a winning culture is people who have a certain place with the Father. And we talked about how Jesus often went to what the Bible calls a certain place to spend time with God. And I find it very fitting that these two topics will serve as the bookends of this series. But the concept of loving union is a much deeper level. It's a, it's a much deeper level than just spending time with God. Now, if you've been around Everyday Church for more than a year, you've heard me, uh, you've heard me say that I really, really love this time of year. I love the fall. I don't know what happens. It's like I turn into the basic white girl. <laughs> Pumpkin spice coffees and lattes and donuts and trips to Target and TJ Maxx for all of their... I'm kidding. I don't like anything pumpkin, coffee, lattes, or pie. You can keep it all. Um, and I can certainly do without TJ Maxx in my life, although Katie and Aubrey would probably have a breakdown if they ever shut down. Uh, <clears throat> I love this time of year because it's like a fresh start coming out of summer. It's like the second do-over of the year, the other one being in January, which is approaching quickly. The change in the weather, the anticipation of the holidays. And this is the time of year that I begin to seek God and ask Him what He wants to do or say for the next year. And a couple of months ago, I was asking God that very question. I was saying, what do you want to do or say in our lives personally? What do you want to do and, or, and say in the lives of everyday church? And I felt clearly that he gave me our theme for next year. And then he began to uh, confirm it with multiple just podcasts and books and pastors speaking the same thing into my life at the same exact time. 
I'm telling you all of that to say that I believe that this loving union concept is a preview of where we're headed in 2022. And my prayer is that God would wreck us from the ground up, that this would be a complete deconstruction and reconstruction of our lives so that we could be all that God has called us to be. It also ties into winning culture because if we're trying to operate our lives outside of loving union with the Father, we are destined for failure. And so the question becomes, what is loving union? So first, let me tell you what it's not. And here's a quote from the book. Um, Pete Scazzaro says, loving union is not the de facto equivalent of devotion and quiet time. Nor is it about engaging in a long list of spiritual practices or having emotionally intense experiences with God. Loving union is not about managing your schedule better or simply not being busy. It is not so much about having sustain, a sustainable pace of life. As important as such things may be, it is possible to engage in them without necessarily experiencing loving union. Uh, theologian Han Jors von Balthasar uh, describes Jesus by saying this, Here is a man, sinless, because he has, a, he has lovingly allowed the Father's will full scope in his life. So in other words, loving union is to lovingly allow God to have full access to our lives. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus said, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, when we're in loving union, we don't just open the door, we keep the door wide open. We allow the will of the Father to have full access to every aspect of our lives. But cultivating this kind of relationship with God, it can't be hurried or rushed. We must slow down and build it into our lives, build some structure and some rhythm that makes this kind of total surrender possible on a routine basis. A life outside of loving union with Jesus will result in us being unhealthy in our spirit, soul, and body. Let me say it another way. Uh, we will be unhealthy spiritually, emotionally, and physically. I love the explanation that, um, that Pete Scazzaro gives in the book. Um, and see if you can relate to any of this. He says, the emotionally unhealthy person is someone who operates in a continuous state of emotional and spiritual deficit, lacking the emotional maturity and being with God sufficient to sustain doing for God. Man, I love that. And we're so busy giving out that there's not enough of us, there's not enough of God inside to sustain what we're trying to do. He continues, spiritual deficits reveal themselves in too much activity. Can anybody relate? to that. He says, unhealthy people engage in more activities than their combined spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves can sustain. They give out for God more than they receive from Him. They serve others in order to share the joy of Christ, but that joy remains elusive to themselves. Have you ever felt that way before? Where you're just serving and you're trying to bring the joy of the Lord to other people, but when you left, you just still felt empty? I've experienced that a lot of times in my life. It's been a point of frustration because as a worship leader, because music is so emotional and you see people respond to it, man, you sense God in the room. 
This, many times I've, I've played at the keyboard and I've seen people cry. or People come up and say, you know, crazy things. I saw angels behind you while you were singing. They tell you all these crazy things and how they experienced God while you were leading worship. At the same time, there was struggle and there was hurt deep in my own life. And I would leave those services going, God, why can you flow through me to heal other people? But yet the healing that's, that's, that I need is elusive to me. Like, why can't you heal me as well? And that's exactly what he's talking about is unhealthy people. They're putting out more than they're receiving from God. And he says, in their most honest moments, they admit that their cup with God is empty or at best half full, hardly overflowing. I don't know if that's hitting you as hard as it hit me. I can't think of a better description of the modern church or Christendom right now. By and large, we are living and leading on empty. There's no wonder why we don't share our faith. We don't have anything to share. There's no wonder why we're not winning culture because we're just as empty as the culture that we're trying to win. There's no wonder why we're tired, burnt out, and ready to give up at times because we're engaging in more activities than our combined spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves can sustain. In essence, we're living and leading without Jesus. And it's a dangerous place to be. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, a very popular passage of Scripture. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How could Jesus say that? I mean, Psalms tells us that he knew us while we were still in our mother's womb. The New Testament tells us that he knows the number of hairs, or lack thereof, on our head. <laughs> this week we were driving, and it was in the back seat. I don't know, we still can't figure out what the context was of what we were saying. I think we were maybe talking about your hair because you had changed something or whatever. I don't know. And maybe... I don't know, but Emmett said, uh, we had some banter back and forth, and Emmett, who is our two-year-old, he's about to turn three, he said, Daddy doesn't have hair, he has head. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true, Emmett. Jesus knows how many hairs are on my head, just because you can't count. (laughs) (laughs) But how can he say, I never knew you, right? I mean, Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves And yet one day he's going to say to some, hopefully not in this room, but possibly some people, even in this room, I never knew you. How is this possible? The word knew in this passage is similar to the oneness described in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when it said that Adam knew his wife. So when it says, I never knew you, Jesus is really saying we never had intimate relationships. We didn't have loving union. You were too busy doing to understand that your doing was supposed to flow out of your being. Author Alicia Britt Cole describes it this way. Jesus spent over 90% of his life, 30 of his 33 years in obscurity. In those hidden years, he forged a life in loving union with the Father. The observable greatness of his three-year ministry is built on the foundation of the investment Jesus made in these unseen years. I believe God is inviting us 
into loving union with Him. Something deeper than we ever knew was possible. John 15, verse 4, He said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 17. My prayer, this is Jesus, he's praying. He's going to pray for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's Jesus saying? It's only when we come into loving union with him that we are able to win culture. When we remain in him and we become part of him and he becomes part of us, then the world will believe that the father is the one who sent him. I want to give you some practical things and we'll start to wrap, wrap this up. Uh, in the book, he says, you know that you are not experiencing loving union when you. There's going to be 10 things if you need these notes because we'll go through them rather quickly. I don't know how you are. I think statistically there's going to be a large percentage of the people in the room that, that relate to these 10 things. You can even take it as an assessment if you want. Just take a check mark. You know that you're not experiencing loving union when you can't shake the pressure you feel from having too much to do in too little time. Can anybody relate to that? When you are always rushing. When you routinely fire off quick opinions and judgments. When you are fearful about the future. When you're overly concerned with what others think. When you are defensive and easily offended. When you are preoccupied and distracted. And so, man, that is, that's, that's easy to do, right? Sometimes even when I go to study, it's just, there's just so many distractions. I can't even, like, like it's hard just to even focus at times. When you, are, when you consistently ignore the stress, anxiety, and tightness in your body. How many of you know your body will talk to you? If you ignore it long enough, you'll end up in the hospital going, I don't know what happened. And God's going, for six months you've been like, I'm so tired, so tired. Take a break. Number nine, when you feel unenthusiastic or threatened by success of others. And then number ten, you routinely spend more time talking than listening. Anybody connect with any of those? If you're experiencing a lot of those, then there's a good chance that you're not living in loving union with the Father. And sadly, I would say that as I read through that myself, there's a lot of areas that I can, we did this at the table the other day, just kind of, some of it, I was like, oh, that's not me and Katie's like, that is you, 100%. It's like, you don't know anything. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I have a lot to work on. I know that 
I know this hasn't been like a hype message. Nobody feels like attacking hell with a squirt gun right now. Let's go. Uh, it's not the typical yelling, kicking, screaming. And I'm not opposed to that occasionally. Um, you know, as I was processing this, Adrian, you can come play. We're going to wrap this up. Some might even have found some of this content even boring. But let's be honest. You, you, can't, you can't live on junk food all the time. I mean, you can. It causes problems. But you'll be very unhealthy. And I don't even know if I would classify this content as meat as much as probably like vegetables. It's your broccoli and green beans and spinach. Some of you are like, yeah, bring on the green beans. I'm like, no, thank you. <clears throat> bring on the cake. <clears throat> but sometimes you got to eat your vegetables even if you don't want to. And I think as I've been processing this, one of the things that, that gets me the most is when he says, cultivating this kind of relationship with God can be hurried or rushed. That we must slow down and build into our lives a structure and rhythm that makes this kind of surrender routinely possible. And we've been talking about this a little bit, uh, Katie and I as a couple, like how does this affect our church? Because in some ways, you might have to be willing to go backwards before you can go forward. Are you and I, are we willing to take short-term loss for long-term gain? You know, and how that might play out on an organizational level would be a church maybe with a lot of ministries. And God is saying, you need to reel that in a little bit. So it may be a canceling of things that are already moving and appear to be successful. So in one way, it feels like you're losing, but you're thinking long term of I've got to correct this now so that long term I can be in a better situation. It's the no pain, no gain concept. Getting back into running the past couple weeks, and I'm reluctant to tell you that because next week I might have a fast food story from KFC. <laughs> Where maybe you can help keep me accountable. But as I've been running, you know, Aubrey passed me the other day on my first 5K, and uh, she didn't know it's me because I don't, you know, she's a, I guess she just didn't recognize me running because I haven't done that for a long time. <laughs> but she's like, hey, I saw you running the other day. And uh, I was like, why didn't you pick me up? I was about to die. <laughs> But it's short-term pain for hopefully long-term health. When I'm running my, my playlist, some of it's, you know, Eye of the Tiger and Rocky IV soundtrack. And some of it are kids' songs. There's a song that says, hey, I can pray every day. And it's just kid, just kid bop kind of thing. And the boys love it. When I'm running, I'm thinking about them. And I'm thinking long-term health. Am I going to die when I'm 60 and they're going to lose their dad when they're 20? Or am I going to make corrections now so that I can be here for a long time? So the pain on the front end is terrible. Are we willing to go through short-term pain in order to experience long-term growth? And I don't know what that looks like spiritually. Because there's internal chaos in a lot of our lives that has to be dealt with and healing that has to come. We say all the time, hurt people, hurt people, and healed people, heal people. Obviously, you're not the one that brings the healing. Jesus does it through you. 
And I'm not to say that if you're hurt and wounded, you can't help bring healing to other people. God can use anything, anytime, any place, anywhere. I mean, he used a donkey to speak to the prophet in the Old Testament. He can surely use us even in a hurt state. But by and large, when we operate out of our hurt, we continue just to hurt people unintentionally. And when we receive healing, then healing flows out of us naturally. And a lot of us in the room need to look deep on the inside and say, what is it inside that's creating this hurt so so that I can correct it and have loving union with the Father so that I can give Him full access to who I am, complete, unabandoned, everything that I am, every decision that I make. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, there are times people that are like, oh, I got to pray about this, pray about that. Come on, dude, you don't need to pray about everything. And I think I might be wrong on that sometimes. Because we need to invite Jesus into every decision that we're making. I mean, I'm, again, we talk about balance all the time in this church, swinging from one side to the other. But loving union says, you come into every aspect of my life. And no matter where I go, and no matter what I do, I'm operating out of that loving union. Even if, even, even if it feels like this is something I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, in the book of Acts, Paul was heading somewhere. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there. He was on his way to preach the gospel. How many you know we should always preach the gospel? Well, Paul didn't. Well, at least not where he wanted to go. He continued to preach it. But loving union with Christ enabled him to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit when Paul said, I'm going here, I'm a missionary, I'm going to establish churches, people are going to get saved and healed and delivered and set free. I'm going here. And the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there, go here. And he stopped him two times from going where he wanted to go. So loving union infiltrates everything that we do, every place that we go, every person that we talk to. Because when we step out from underneath that covering, Trying to share the gospel about Jesus without Jesus is a dangerous place to be. How could we ever expect someone to respond to that? How could we ever expect someone to respond to that? Listen, let me say, I don't have all this figured out. This is a journey that I began a couple of months ago. And I'm still in the beginning stages of of learning how to do this. You know, Katie and I were talking the other day just about some other aspects that we'll be talking about in the future, just about rest and Sabbath and all these things. And our lives are so chaotic at times, it doesn't even feel like there's a way to even do that. And that's where the short-term loss comes in. Are we going to reel in some things and maybe hurt some feelings, even our own feelings of things that we want to do where we say, we've got to make some correction for long-term health. In a lot of ways, this seems like it should be intuitive to Christ followers. I'm a Christ follower. That that means I follow Christ. He has access to every aspect of my life. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I do. That seems like it should be intuitive, but for whatever reason, it's not. And the reality is, is that most of us in the room are living and leading on empty. If we're honest, that list of 10 things describes a lot of us. But the good news is this. 
Jesus is inviting us into loving union with Him. And out of that loving union will flow peace and joy and our evangelism and all the other things that we've discussed during this Winning Cultures, Cultures series. All of the things that we've said will cause us to have a winning culture. All of those things flow out of a loving union with Christ. All of it. Jesus is inviting us. Let's join with what he's doing and saying. And let's win culture. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz. 